Hello, welcome to the Hoop Collective Podcast. We talk about the NBA, which we're doing on Sunday evening. Joining me, you got it right. It's a Monday pod. Guess what? A little adjustment happening here. Taking control of this sucker. Joining me from New York City, where he was at the Philadelphia um, Boston game on Saturday night. One of the best games of the weekend. We had a bunch. It's Tim Bonteps. Available for duty, sir. And joining me from the American Airlines Center, he was flirting with getting banned, with uh, tussling with the star player tonight. It's Ban McMahon. Howdy, partners. I felt like all interactions were pleasant tonight. That certainly won't be the case going forward in this podcast twice a week now. I'm That's actually right. not going aware forward, of what happened after the game, too. So you got to fill me in on that. I missed well, that. I was, I was, I was, he's exaggerating a bit. There you go. Sensationalizing. Going forward until it's declared differently, Bontemps and McMahon are going to be joining me on Mondays and Fridays. There, I said it. Yes. Take if take it, take the complaints to your local congressman or woman. Um, all right. It's an uh, place to take it. We, we have, we have, we've had a lot of interesting stuff happen this weekend, but uh, one of the more interesting games of uh, the last uh, few weeks happened in front of McMahon today in Dallas, where the Lakers mm. were down 27 to the Mavericks in the first half, came back and won the game in a really key win for the Lakers as mm-hmm. they try to scramble and get some momentum and, um, Definitely um, a bit of a setback to the grand designs of the new look Mavericks as well. Um, back-to-back Sundays here, we have really good chances in Dallas to take a look at where the, some of these new teams are today, the Lakers and Mavs, the next Sunday, uh, Suns at the Mavericks. We'll start with this one. McMahon, I, th- I, think, I, I think the stat that they showed on the broadcast was um, teams that were had been had fallen down this season by 27 were oh and oh and 138 um it was a fascinating game just for that and then afterwards mm. we had quite a press conference uh but with yes. doubt with uh dallas coach jason kidd and with luka Doncic. why don't you take us through the events of the your, your afternoon and evening well, Jay Kidd uh, made a point coming out of the gates to say, and I'm going to quote him accurately, we lost our rhythm in the sense of just playing the game and not worrying about the other elements. We were playing at a high level on both ends, and then we just got a little distracted with the whistle. We just got to be better with that. I, you know, I don't know who might have gotten a little distracted with the whistle, but let, let's just let's keep on going. And you know, he got he got back to it later. Uh, you know, said it's, it's just our maturity, just understanding that we have to, what we have to do at that time, just focus on that play. Can't get distracted with a whistle and just keep playing, you know, went on and on. And then Jay Kidd was asked, you know, basically, Hey, as you guys are unraveling and you're blowing a 27 point lead. And especially like in the third quarter, like, bro, you only called one time out the whole third quarter and you guys were pretty much melting down. So I said, and a little bit more polite terms. He said, I'm not the savior here. I'm not playing. I'm watching just like you guys. As a team, we've got to mature. We've got to grow up if we want to win a championship. There's no young team that's ever won a championship mentally or physically. The young Dallas Mavericks had, I was going to say, is it even a young team? Is it a young well, team? I don't think it's a young team. There's one guy today. that's young. <laughs> They're starting five today. 
was certainly older than usual because uh, Josh Green, who had been starting, did not. Uh, 22-year-old Josh Green came off the bench in favor of 33-year-old Justin Holliday. Uh, he started alongside Reggie Bullock, 31. Dwight Powell, I believe he's 31. Kyrie Irving, 30. And Luka Doncic, 23. So, Jay Kidd in did his not... fifth season. In his fifth season. And like his 28th professional season. I think he, he's been a pro <laughs> since he was in diapers and, over there. And known to uh, say a thing or two to the referees and did a few times during today's but game. But yeah, if we're, if, if, if we're but talking about... But I didn't think about, it was egregious. No. I mean, I saw him throw today, his hands up a couple I, times. Listen, I thought it was pretty was a, egregious today. He didn't get He didn't get teed up. Right. He could have like, let's be honest, Luca could get teed up every game, probably multiple times, but he didn't. But this was definitely a bad body language game for Luca. And it was definitely a I'm more worried about arguing every call and not and no call that he's he was more focused on the three guys in the gray shirts instead of the five guys in uh, the Lakers jerseys. This was a bad yeah. game for Luca in that regard. And, and honestly, like, look, we all know Luca gets. He 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 said it himself. He said, "Hey, I'm really not an angry guy outside of the of the basketball court. I don't know what what happens to me out there. Uh, call it competitive, call it immature, call it a combination thereof. That's that's a fact with him, and it's something that he's talked about before. It's something Jake Kidd challenged him on last year, and for a bit he got better. Um, this was a bad game for him in that regard, and I was surprised for a couple of reasons. One. He's been so positive and so upbeat and so excited since the Kyrie trade that, to, and it wasn't just the bad body language to the refs. There was some bad body language to teammates. He he just got frustrated today, and I, and I do think Jared Vanderbilt's physical defense, oh boxing out, and you know shoving. Jared and Vanderbilt like, was I th- like I think, uh, just his energy level versus Lucas in the second half. It was like it was wild. Yeah, he had 17 rebounds, eight of those offensive. And like, Luca, bro, you're a good rebounder, but sometimes you got to put your big old butt on somebody and box out when he's killing you on the offensive glass. I think Vanderbilt frustrated him, and I think that led to a lot of this. Um, because, again, Luca has been very positive, upbeat, excited lately. And um, yeah, he dominated the first quarter, too. He was absolutely Dominant in the first quarter, 14 points, six rebounds, three assists, he, doing whatever he wanted, controlling the game, and he stunk the rest of the game. The last three quarters today, Luca had as many turnovers as he did buckets. He was 5 of 14 from the floor after the first quarter and had five turnovers, and one of those was just an incredible mental blunder with the game on the line. Like, say what you want about Luca, he is a basketball genius. The guy is nobody ever can question his basketball IQ. So for him to not understand, hey, you can step into the back court to take that inbounds pass that Kyrie intentionally is leading you into the back court and away from the defense to get. For whatever reason, he just totally brain farted. Yeah, to, uh, to update to what happened it. there. The, yeah, uh, was it a two point game or two it was point a three game point game? They come out of timeout with eighteen point one seconds left. Vanderbilt's right. denying him, so Kyrie throws him a bounce pass, you know, away from Vanderbilt again, leading him into the back court. All Luca has to do is step over the half court line, you know, catch the ball, and then you know go about getting him into what whatever they wanted to get into. Um, but he like tried to save the ball from going out of bounds. It's a 
loose ball turnover, you know, leads well, he's to trying to save the ball from going into the backcourt is what he that's what about. I mean. Going to the backcourt, uh, yeah. loose ball turnover leads to free throws. And, and, and that's basically the game there. So this is, this is twice in their four games together that Luca and Kyrie with a chance to tie the game late have failed to even get a shot up, which is just insane for two of the best shot creators in the NBA. Um, the, the time before against the Timberwolves was a case, I think, of, of they they were both kind of deferring too much mutual respect. Plus, like we talked about this before, uh, give Anthony Edwards and um, McDaniel's. The, the, yeah, McDaniel. I've, 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 I always get Jalen and Jaden. It was Jaden. Minnesota McDaniels. Like, give them credit. They disrupted the play and played great defense. This one, like Vanderbilt was was denying, but like it was just a total mental blunder. And I again, I think Luca just he was in a. There bad... was another. There was another possession in the last two minutes ish, where uh, he actually got the ball on the at the mid post of his back to the basket in isolation. Yeah, with position, and um, there was like five or six seconds on the shot clock, and he gave it up. Yeah, and then it's and hot potato, not, and Bullock had to fire up a Taro's boom, 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 boom. Bullock yeah, had to I fire wasn't, up a terrible. Look I wasn't sure if he actually Bullock. got the shot off or it was a violation, but whatever Luca would have done there would have been smarter. And I, I just kept waiting for you know this was a, it was a very classic modern NBA game because it was a highly leveraged three point shooting. The the, the Mavericks, when they make like thirteen threes in the first half. Yeah, the Mavs made twenty threes. They were twenty of forty nine. The Lakers were six of thirty-four. You should never lose a game where you have a forty-two point right. advantage on three-point shots. The Lakers, <laughs> I think, I think the Very Lakers missed their first fourteen. At one point, the Mavericks had ten threes, and the Lakers. I think were they missed their 14. first eighteen. Then they missed their first 18? Eh, 14, 15, 16, 18, whatever. Okay, whatever. It was. it was like it was a very modern enough. game in that in they that missed enough. Was, we often we see huge swings in in the modern game. Not twenty-seven. Mm-hmm. We see huge swings, and it's a lot of times it's based on three-point shooting uh, uh, stuff. But I think it's it's more interesting um, what Kid was talking about after the game, um, Bontemps, because it seems like Jason made a decided effort to, or decided, you know, made a decision going into that press conference to challenge. Luca and the way Jason's Luca not a in this, in J- yeah. Jason's not afraid to make points in press conferences. He's been doing that since he was in Brooklyn with me ten years ago. He's done it plenty of times. Like Tim said here, he did it with Giannis and uh, at times Jabari Parker earlier in his career. Other guys in Milwaukee. He is not afraid to say what's on his mind when he's at the microphone. It was very clear he was making a point. Mm-hmm. And listen, I mean the Mavericks were reprehensible down the stretch in this game. Final two minutes of the game. After Luca took a three with 145 on the clock, the only shot him or Kyrie took until the end of the game was after a horrendous air ball by Justin Holiday in the corner that Kyrie just happened to catch under the basket and lay in because he was wide open. Oh, you you talking about that lob that Holiday had from the opposite corner just over the rim to, to Kyrie? <laughs> yeah, Nobody finishes I mean, lobs like Kyrie. It was no, a great. I mean, was, that, was good... I mean that. I mean that. I mean that is ridiculous. So. You know, they they just mismanaged the end of the game. You mentioned the turnover. There were multiple possessions where they got bad shots up. They came out of a timeout in those final two minutes and had a terrible possession where I think they had a shot clock violation on the play um, or basically did. I mean, they just they just had mistake after mistake mm-hmm. down the stretch. And that's on top of the fact that Luca, after the first quarter, was just completely out of sorts. All the shots yeah. were short. 
he was getting it. You know, he kept being frustrated about non-calls. You mentioned the way Jared Vanderbilt played. His aggression definitely was factoring in too. But, you know, for a Dallas team that's got to try to figure this out on the fly, that's only got a limited amount of time maybe with Kyrie to begin with, for them to be one and four with these two guys on the court so far, it's not not an ideal start. One and one and three, but I hear you. And all three are all oh, right. One and three. All, yes. all three are, are they had a chance to tie it up late in the game. You know, the first time in Sacramento, Luca took a tough step back and then admitted after and, and Luca had not scored in a while. Kyrie had been cooking. He admitted, hey, that was my bad. I should have gotten the ball. We mentioned the you know, playing catch against Minnesota leads to a turnover, and then this one. And I, look, I I don't want to get too caught up in still very small sample size clutch performance because, like, these guys both have track records of of being brilliant shot creators. They've hit both hit a bunch of huge shots in their career. I, I think they'll figure that stuff out. Um, to me, the most interesting thing uh, was obviously them blowing the lead. And then Jay Kidd making a point to not by name, but certainly clearly call out Luca. And it's not the first time he's called out Luca. And honestly, I think every time it happened last year, it's like I think uh I think Nelly used to say you only have so many bullets to fire in a season, right? However many it is five or six as, as a coach. Every time Luke or Jay Kidd fired a bullet with Luca last year, it seemed to work. I mentioned there was a time where he, you know, he basically said, we've got to play five on five and not worry about, you know, complaining to the refs. And and there's a time to complain to the refs. And it's not when we're supposed to be getting back on defense. And I thought that had a, a positive effect. The other time that really pops to mind is I believe it was after game two of the conference semifinals against the Suns, and the Suns just lit Luca on fire and Luca dominated offensively, but the Mavericks got, got beaten. Luca well, pick and roll, pick and roll, pick. And, I mean, it was just brutal. The bullseye they put on him, and, and kid had done this a few times out of the years. She said, you know, he's got to participate defensively. And, and, you know, Luca took that personally and, 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 uh, and, and responded well to it. Initially, Luca did not seem very enthusiastic about uh, this particular call out. I'll say that. Yeah. That's- so you, after the after when Luca came up, you asked him about it, and mm-hmm. he said what? Well, and so Brad Towns with the Morning News kind of asked him generally about a loss of composure, and you know he basically said, ah, you know he he kind of downplayed it a little bit. You know, eh, you can say that, but we still had a big lead. Sometimes you're going to lose it. I think we just relaxed a little bit. We've got to work on that. And then I, I, I basically said, "Hey, Jake Kidd specifically mentioned, you know, you, you guys got to, you know, got to be more mature. You've got to grow up, and you have to stop getting quote distracted by the whistle." And he said, "That's probably true." I said, "Do you think you got distracted by the, the by the officiating?" That's when he said, "I knew you were going to be the one to ask me that question." Which I said, hey, I, okay, but I think it's a fair question. And he said, like I said, it's probably true. So, you know, he didn't like, he didn't, he certainly didn't shoot it down, but he, he you know, he, he, I've seen Luke, I'll say this, a lot of times Luca's, the times he's most quotable is when he's being accountable. Like there are many, many times over the course of his career where he has basically said, hey, 
I've got to be better. You know, I can't, whether it's come to officiating, now it doesn't mean it always happens, but he's many times has said, you know what? I'm getting too worked up with the referees. I got to just hoop. I got to, I can't be distracted with that. Or like when he plays like crap, a lot of times he'll say, it's my bad. Even like the backcourt plays, it's like, it's my bad. He he started to cuss and then he's just, just like, I made a mistake. Uh, this one to be as, as brief as he was uh, with it and, you know, indicate like, dude, I don't like this line of questioning. Um, you know, I'm not saying it's a big deal. I'm just saying it was interesting. Well, the Mavericks fans, I think, are a little frustrated with Justin Holiday taking Josh Green's starting spot. Uh, I was a little bit mystified by using Justin Holiday as a primary defender on LeBron a couple of times. But well, I think- for most of the game, and I, I would ask you, like, with Dorian Finney-Smith wearing a Nets uniform, who who do you recommend? Josh Green. Okay. They need to play Josh Green. Like that, I, that's their that's what they have to do. They have we talked about it when they made the trade. That's mm-hmm. what they have to do. You know, and and Josh Green really played well right after the trade, kind of didn't play as well these last few games, but he's a 22-year-old who's should be either a core player or you know, the a major piece in your next big trade. So I agree with you. He needs to play more than 15 and a half minutes in, in any hey, game. Can't can't be playing him over a buyout guy. Or a bio guy over him. Like you, yeah. you need if you're if the, the Mavs are gonna get anywhere this year, which is obviously the jury's out on that for a variety of reasons, Josh Green's gonna have to be very good. And now, the Justin people, Holiday is not gonna be good enough to get him there. You saw that the today. Other, the other the other thing that people are upset about is that Dwight Powell played significantly more minutes than uh than Christian Wood. Um you guys want you guys take any issue with that? I mean, I don't think that decides the game. I think that's a that's that's for Dallas Sports Radio to, to break down. <laughs> Look, the, yeah, well, the Mavs problem. I think there the are Mavs some direct problem, messages that were uh, that were sent about that, but I didn't get any. Well, the Mavs problem is not going to be about scoring. It's going to be about their ability to guard people. You've talked a bunch about the impact Maxi Kleba can have on this team. We'll see if he could stay healthy. We've talked a lot about how Phoenix has a lot of guys with injury issues. Maxi's coming off this hamstring surgery. Who knows how he's going to be able to come off of that. But Dallas needs to be able to guard people outside of Luca and Kyrie. Like they, those guys did not play well down the stretch today. Like you said, they have a track record. You can expect them to play better in those situations. The bigger problem was at the end of the game, when it really mattered, the Lakers were getting what they wanted offensively and made plays down the stretch that Dallas didn't have answers for. And if they're going to win in the playoffs against, you know, whether it's the Clippers or the Suns or, Denver or Memphis or any of these teams, they got to be able to get stops. And, you know, that's just, that's Dwight Powell is going to be a better option probably to get stops late in the game than Christian Wood. Yeah, All right, from the Lakers perspective. I, I mean, that's the problem though. They don't have good options. Like that's been the issue since they made the trade, right? Like yeah. that's when you trade your best my position too, it is another problem. My position on the Mavericks is they've got great cornerstones now and that you give them a tr- a transaction transaction cycle or two where they can work on some supporting players. Well, I think the problem is chance. what if they don't have a transaction cycle? Exactly. Or two? That's the, that's that's what, the man, issue. Ky- Kyrie and, and LeBron, just a big smiles, warm embrace post game. It was good to see. It was good to see. I mean, well, I listen, really touch regardless of whether Kyrie together. wants to go to the Lakers or not, the fact that it exists, that Lakers For threat sure. is valuable to him. Oh, so he's got all the leverage in the world. Like, listen, the Mavs 
might have to give him a five-year, $270 million oh max contract to keep him. That's just the fact. Hey, they gave they gave KP a five-year max deal with a freaking player option when he hadn't played in a year and a half. At least Kyrie's played. <laughs> Who's Who knew Kyrie could ever win a showdown in terms of uh, playing time? Um, from the Lakers' perspective, they've won four or five now. Anthony Davis was him his uh, his beast mm. self in this thirty yep. and uh, fifteen he was huge really, factor really good. in the second half of this game. Um, and you know the other night, uh, uh, Michael Bees, uh, Michael Beasley, Malik, <laughs> um, I do it all the time. <laughs> um, Malik Beasley uh, is red hot and really carries him to that win. This game, he's cold. He's ice cold. But then yeah. Jared Vanderbilt has his best game as a Laker. You mentioned uh, 17 rebounds. Maybe his best points. game, period. He was Oh, awesome. my God. I mean, he made so many plays that doesn't, you know, the, the you know how many times he got his hand on the ball, how many times he frustrated yeah, he got defenders. four steals. And, and again, I give Vanderbilt, I think Luka's angst with the refs was in large part caused by Vanderbilt's energy, physicality, probably hacking the crap out of them, but like, Hey, you know, Luca really got upset when Vanderbilt got a uh, offensive rebound off of a missed free throw. And Luca was like, dude, he went off, went right over, you know, went over my back, shoved me in the back. And then Luca, this, this is where we have a Pat Riley quote. When I, when I, when, when you feel a game like this, because um, you can complain about the officiating all you want and you can call out plays and show the video and you can be right. But there's mm -hmm. a, a momentum that happens in games yeah. um, where the officiating just allows it to happen. And um, because it's sort of kinetic energy and Pat Riley um, would say about this, that you have to be an active participant in your own rescue, yeah. which is a long story about how he went on a whitewater rafting trip. And that was one of the things that they said, you have to be an active participant in your own rescue. And so you can't look for the, for the referees to, to bail you out. Mm -hmm. And Vanderbilt was creating that kinetic energy that allowed the Lakers to come back. And he was creating look at their full court, nonstop, all the time. Yeah. Well, and, and so LeBron if... is LeBron is no, pushing would... the Lakers. Yeah. Sorry. LeBron is pushing the Lakers. And in this game, tried to push them. LeBron came out with a lot of energy in the second half because he sniffed weakness in the Mavericks, I think, the way they finished the first half. And mm -hmm. Vanderbilt rose to the occasion. LeBron's picking up 94 feet in the first possessions of the second half. Vanderbilt starts doing it. And so no matter what we've what, what, no matter what, what we said about the Lakers the whole year, this these last couple of wins are an indication of how much more improved their roster is. Go ahead, Bonte. Well, well, I was just gonna say, I mean, what have we talked about for the past year and a half with this team? They have no defense and no athleticism, right? Like the reason Jared Vanderbilt, mm -hmm. he played very well today, obviously, but the reason he stood out so much was he was doing stuff the Lakers just did not have the guys to be able to do for the last year and a half. Like ever since the rust trade, they didn't have guys like Jared Vanderbilt on their team. Like he's the kind of depth piece that you need to have to win. And look, Malik Beasley's going to have a lot of games where he goes two for 11 from three. That's really sort of who he is. He's going to have some uh, yeah, games where he hits a ton of threes. Mm -hmm. He's going to have a lot more where he misses a lot. He's a 35% volume three-point shooter. He, he's going to take 11 of them though. And by no the question. way, he hit a huge one that was his 10th. He was two of 11 from three and hit the hit. It was not a one of nine. It hit a big one on his 10th. No question. And they have no shooting, right? Like just having a guy that can get up 11 threes is going to help them. But, Gotta guard them. you know, yeah. But like having having a guy like Vanderbilt who has athletic, who can guard multiple positions, who brings real energy, 
They just haven't had guys like that. So yeah, obviously it helped. It's helped the Lakers a lot. They've picked up a couple really big wins to come out of the break, but you know, it's, they've still got a very big hill to climb. There's a lot of teams to jump over. They got to keep winning games. LeBron again, looked like he messed up his, now his right foot today. He's getting that worked on. Like they, it's just, they've got to keep doing this for another 20 games and you know, we'll see where they're at, but this has been about as good of a start to come out of the break as it could have had. Not only have they been winning, but all these teams around them keep dropping games and you know, well, they need both so to happen to get in, but it's been a very good start. So the Blazers Ooh. are playing right now. And by the way, uh, what the heck Lillard has noise? 13. Has th- That's a, I'm looking, the Lakers are up to it's the, they're the 11 seat tied for the That's 11 right. seat, baby. We'll see what happens with the Blazers tonight. And by the way, Lillard has 13 points in the first seven minutes of that game. Uh, so who knows? Well, by the well time they are playing the Rockets. Are, that they are a they are I know. a, a record right, set defense. Because I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna go ahead and pencil in a Portland win. Well, that's what I'm saying. So they're 11 right now because uh, uh, the uh, Thunder are about to lose. It's about to go final. They just, they just did lose. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So the so they're in 11th as we're speaking in in, uh, in our real time, but it, they may be back to 12. Um, it'll be interesting to see how many points Lillard puts up in this one tonight. Um, Okay, so and by the way, real quick, one one thing to mention too, just with the way this weekend has played out, Sacramento, pretty okay. pretty well positioned to be at least the three seed. They got a four game lead in the loss column on Phoenix. They got a four game lead in the loss column on the Clippers. They got a five game lead on the loss column on the Mavericks and the Warriors. As of now, Warriors are playing tonight against the Wolves. So Sacramento unbelievably is looking pretty good to not only be in the top six and guarantee being in the playoffs for the first time in 17, 18 years, they look like they got a real shot to have home court advantage in the first round of the playoffs, which is an unbelievable accomplishment for Mike Brown and that team. Yeah. And we can talk about, Hey, they don't guard anybody either, but they score over 120 points a game. (laughs) Well, none of these teams guard anybody. Look at the game they played Friday night against the Clippers. I mean, nobody was guarding anybody in that game. They're going to score 175. Does he have seven straight games of over 30 points in a row now? I think something like yeah, that. Tonight, he's, yeah, I mean, he, he's, he's been he's great. Been. He's been great in cl- in crunch time. They've, they're undefeated in overtime games. It's been an oh. awesome season for Sacramento. He's, he's Just the really front happy for, for him. He's the front runner for the Cojones Factor Player of the Year. I don't know what the hell they're doing with the Jerry West wannabe clutch player of the year. But Cojones <laughs> Factor, he's the, I don't get a vote on that other one, but Cojones Factor, he's the absolute front runner. Um, and by, by the way, what a, what a Clippers debut by Russ. I mean, 17 points, 14 assists, got completely lost in the last play of regulation when they're up three, and for some reason he's guarding Malik Monk, who'd been lighting him on fire. No screen set or anything. Russ just gets caught watching the ball. He's like, oh, yeah, I'm guarding the guy who's been sizzling. Whoops, there's a wide-open three to tie the game. Well, I mean, well, see, who could have? It, it was the, it was the yeah. exact Russell Westbrook experience, so he – Again, you could edit together a highlight package where he had some really good plays and he had 14 assists. Mm -hmm. But then you say, okay, he had seven turnovers and he also blew like three layups, which I think led to easy baskets the other way. So basically, are another three turnovers. Those are turnovers. Yeah. Those are, yeah, they're live ball turnovers and you miss a layup. All right. Jackson's got it for me. Seventh straight game with 30 plus. And I think it's eight out of nine. And um, it's a sixth player with 30-plus points in seven consecutive games or more this season. So De'Aaron Fox. uh, Like he's doing it efficiently, too. He's not just putting up, you know, like he's not going 9 to 26 from the floor. 
Yeah, been an incredible season for them. Just very fun. And yeah, like they're they're pretty well locked into that three seed. I think it's going to be really hard for them to fall out of it. Yeah, well, you're going to be susceptible any anywhere in the West this year because I mean, you, you may be better off in the three seed than you end up in the one seed, depending on where the Warriors are and their health wise. So, but if they get home court, um, it takes a lot of pressure off a team that hasn't played in the playoffs together. At least um, gives them a you know a real fighting chance for sure. Um, all right, so we had a significant move in the NBA today um, in the coaching ranks. Quinn Snyder accepts a job. Um, I think Woj said it was a five-year contract um, yep. for huge money. I believe it's for more than $40 million. And Woj says, and this mirrors what I've heard, um, that um, uh, he's going to have some level of say over per, uh, personnel moves. The NFL schedule drops this week and you can be there to catch all the action live and in person with vivid seats. Experience every touchdown, every tackle, every eye popping play of your favorite team. And to kick it off, vivid seats, the official ticketing partner of ESPN is offering you $20 off your first $200 ticket purchase with code hoop. That's code hoop. Download the app or visit vividseats.com today. Vivid seats experience it live. For the ones who get it done, Granger offers high-quality supplies and solutions for every industry, as well as access to product specialists who have the knowledge and experience to answer your toughest questions. Plus, their commitment to being your safety partner can help you keep your facilities safe and your people safer. Call or click Ranger.com or just stop by. It's surprising to see that a coach of this caliber wants to take over a team in the middle of the year. Although, by the way, the Hawks have won a couple here. And uh, on Sunday, Trey mm-hmm. Young hit a very impressive game winner. Trey Young's already got a um, a catalog of game winners in his career. In this one, he uh, was able to get Mikhail Bridges off balance. It was a terrific uh, maneuver. Mm-hmm. Because Bridges, I mean, you, you taking Trey Young on Mikhail Bridges. I'm taking Bridges on that matchup. Right. Um, obviously, great offense beats great defense, but I, 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 you know, huge disparity in size, and Bridges is so competent. But he he got tricked. Trey Young tricked him. Uh, yep. uh, convinced him he was going to shoot. He went up in the air. He moved over and he got him. And they beat the Nets by two. Um, so it's I often say that if you fire a coach, unless it's a disaster situation, you better damn well know who you're going to hire. Cause I see these teams who fire coaches who it's borderline, you know, I'll give you an example, the Charlotte Hornets last year. Um, it's not that James Borrego was threatening Red Auerbach. That team had gotten better three years in a row and didn't make the playoffs because of some circumstances. They fire him. They don't have their act together. They end up hiring Kenny Atkinson. He, he backs out of the job. They end up going back to Steve Clifford and no offense to cliff, but it hasn't worked out this year. They didn't, they were, they were firing a coach who was doing mm-hmm. a good job and they didn't know who they were going to hire. Not that Nate McMillan was again, Red Auerbach, but um, if you're going to fire him in that situation, you better know what you're doing. They did. Uh, it was pretty telling when Landry fields, the new GM at the press conference announcing the firing said, Quinn Snyder is the candidate for the job, <laughs> which also gave, 
Yeah, which also gave Quinn all the leverage in the world, not just to get. Well, I, I suspect. I suspect. I suspect. It might not have been the first time they spoke. Oh, for sure. But was, was that my day. point so, is Quinn was going to get exactly what he not just wanted, but feels like he needs to have a chance to to win in a place where honestly, like, do you think Atlanta is would you call Atlanta a good NBA job right now? Given the issues I was, with that I'm roster surprised, and what they've given up I'm to put that roster in place. Job. I'm surprised he took this job at this time. He has he has his reasons. Um you know, I was talking to uh, a longtime executive in the league who I really respect recently, and I was, you know, lamenting that, that Atlanta was underachieving. Mm-hmm. And he goes, are they underachieving? He's like, I'm not so sure they are underachieving. I kind of think maybe this is who they are. Well, they made a huge win-now trade, and you, if you're 500 after making a win-now trade, you're, you're underachieving based on your own expectations. Now, you can argue – is this roster better than the record? That's a different argument, but you don't give up three first round picks, two of your own unprotected to go get DeJounte Murray, unless you think you're a win, uh, a team that's going to no, win. No, they certainly thought that, but Bontemps, you think there's a reason why Quinn wanted this job now? Well, I think, look, if, if, like you said, if, if you're a guy like Quinn Snyder who has options and we all know he would have potentially had options to wait and see where he wanted to go. If you're going to take this job in the middle of the season, you're going to step in and coach the team over the final 20 games. And you're going to like launch right in now in the middle of a playoff chase and take mm-hmm. over this job. It's because like McMahon said, you go to the Hawks and you say, Hey, I want a, I want B, I want C, I want D and I want E, or I'm not going to take it now. And they say, sure, we'll do all those things. Now, you know, we'll see the devil's in the details on all this stuff. We'll see exactly how it all shakes out. But to me, there's very little doubt that for him to walk into this job now, it's like McMahon said, it's going to be everything that he believes he needs to have in place to be successful. And as a coach who, and again, I'm a big fan of Quinn. I think he's did a terrific job in Utah. He's a really good coach. He's also an incredibly meticulous guy. He wants things to be done in a certain way. You see it, how that's his teams. That's, that's not even it's you're putting it sort of softly. He's extremely. Well, he's- He's a control <laughs> freak. A lot of coaches yes. are. Yes, there Quinn you go. Is yes. the, Quinn, <laughs> and, Quinn is, aside from Rick Carlisle, Quinn is as much of, of a control freak as a of a coach as I've been around. Well, and I think, and I think the you, I think Rick Carlisle is an interesting guy for you to bring up. Not only because you know both those guys, but think about the job that Rick walked into in Indiana. Right? Yes. Rick has a significant say in personnel there. Rick has a lot of control over what's going on there, mm-hmm. and that really fit his personality. And I think if you look at this Atlanta situation, I think it's a very similar deal. Quinn's going to walk in. It's a young and experienced front office led by Landry Fields. He's clearly going to be able to have a say in what's going on there. They have a bunch of talent on the roster. They've got really dynamic, explosive guards and trained DeJounte. Quinn obviously showed in Utah. He's able to really, you know, turn Donovan Mitchell into an all-star player. Um, they had terrific offenses every year. He's a guy who's, I think, going to be able to get the best out of those guys. They've got young athletic players around them. AJ Griffin, they traded for Sadiq Bay. They've got Anyeka Kongwu. There's a lot of talent on this roster. They've got Clint Capella. Like there's John pieces Collins. to work with there. John Collins. And by the way, John Collins is another guy who, for whatever reason, past few years, his name has been in trade discussions constantly. 
he has the know, reason is because like, they've they've been trying to trade him. Well, <laughs> I know, but my, honestly, since before he signed this contract, right, Roy's, my, like, remember they went to the East Finals. Yes. Like, well, crap. I guess I guess we gotta pay him now. Right. Well, and my what I was gonna say was well, that's all true. And my point was for a guy like Quinn, I think he's got the ability to come in and find ways to utilize John Collins that can sort of get him back to the player he was a couple of years ago before his name kept coming up in these discussions. And it seems like his confidence taken a bit of a hit and he's become more of a bit piece there. So like, I do think there's a lot of talent there for a guy like him to be able to walk in, put his imprint on the place, build his own program, have a ton of say in how, how it all comes together. I think it makes sense for him to take this job. And again, the timing of it to me indicates that he said, give me these five things and I'll do the job. And the Hawks said, great, come on board and let's do this. Well, Look, and I, I think- one of his big challenges is going to be to get Trey Young to perform at a high level with his limitations in situations where relationships with him sometimes are difficult. And Trey has been outspoken this year and he doesn't think he's been treated fairly and that people don't know what's really going on inside that team. He said it again the other day um, and trying to defend his relationship with Nate McMillan. The last two head coaches with with Trey have not ended well with Trey, no matter how you want to clarify it. Sometimes Trey can be a tough player to play with. So Quinn is coming from a situation in Utah where chemistry issues undercut what was a very successful operation. So he has now got to try to solve a situation where there are chemistry issues that have existed in the past. He's got to deal with them going forward. He has got to figure out a way to make DeJounte Murray and Trey Young work together and be comfortable playing together. Because if they are not comfortable playing together, they're going to have to trade one of them because they cannot let DeJounte Murray walk away. Now that's not a decision Mm -hmm. for necessarily for right now. That's not a decision necessarily for this summer. It is this summer. Absolutely. This summer. There's certainly a sense of urgency this summer. I don't, well, I'm not does, saying you have to make the move this into, summer, but it does feed into what Quinn could do for this last, you know, six weeks plus the playoffs. 100%. I think c- taking the job now, one gives him a chance to go ahead and, you know, he wants to, trust me, Quinn's going to have some very strong ideas of how he can instill his own, the culture he wants, how to change the culture there, how to, you know, d- do all those kind of things. It also gives him a chance to evaluate the players that are on this roster and for a coach who's going to have significant same personnel, I think that is important. I think these 20 games plus whatever postseason there is, which if they don't get their act together, might be a game, uh, gives him a chance to really evaluate the guys on the roster because they are, I mean, every team has major decisions to make every summer, but the, the, the Hawks in particular might have some like franchise changing type of decisions to make. Yeah. So, you know, I all, also wonder, so they traded Kevin Herter, who's been a significant contributor to the Kings, because uh, at some point they weren't going to spend to a certain level. And I don't blame them. I mean, Atlanta's got to be careful with the luxury tax. I don't know if they can keep this team together, how expensive it's going to be. DeAndre Hunter's uh, new contract kicks in, and they're going to have to take care of, uh, you know, they're going to have to take care of Murray if at some point. So I think they're, they're headed for changes anyway, you know, whether or not it's John Collins or not, but you know, I don't, I don't think the Murray trade, 
which made the Murray trade where you're giving up two of your own picks such a massive risk. Well, I guess you could argue that I guess you, there was three that they got, but they one is that one is that like the pick they get the Charlotte pick via New York. They got for Cameron. Oh, that's right. That's right. It was two of their picks. It's it's, it's honestly probably not even going to be a first round pick, but we'll see how that plays out. Yeah. But I also, they got a pick back from Sacramento for Herter. So it's kind of like net. It was kind of like Herter and, and two picks that they traded. They also traded, um, Gallinari. Gallinari. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm trying to think who else they sent to San Antonio. Uh, uh, but ba- who cares? Basically, the herder they had to trade away herder to make that feasible. Yeah. So I always mm-hmm. look at herder as part of that trade. Yeah. Um, but there has been only a few coaches in the 20 years I've covered the NBA. There's only been a few coaches who have gone on to a team at midseason um, and sort and taken over and made it any length of time. Um, one of them was George Carl. He, George Carl did it in Sacramento, but the reason the Sacramento did it was because he did it in Denver and then coached the team for like six or seven years and had some 50 win seasons and was good. Um, that's the one successful time I can remember in the last 20 years. I don't, maybe there's another one I'm forgetting. Um, I think Lawrence Frank took over the, um, the nets on an interim basis when he got his first job from Byron Scott, um, and he coached them right. for you know several years. Um, Nate McMillan did that get to the conference finals in a similar position a couple of years ago. Uh, Frank Vogel did it with the Pacers, but that is guys who were in house who got promoted. Right. Oh, I'm you're saying about from out, outside, right, a guy right, that right. they they bring in from outside. Like maybe yeah, Lawrence, one Lawrence was on. Yeah, Lawrence was on Byron's staff, so that's the right. That's and the uh, Frank Vogel thing. was on. Um, boy, who was Jim the O'Brien coach? Staff. Jim O'Brien's staff. Yeah. So. Um, you, know, you even, don't see many outside the organization midseason takeovers. I mean, Chris Finch in Minnesota, but it's not like this is a frequent thing. Right. Where it's worked. I mean, Finch, the jury is still out on, you know, so uh, we'll see. Uh, although Finch has done a good job so far. Yeah. Um, okay. Uh, before we go, <laughs> how about the New York Knickerbockers? Sort of sneaking up on everybody here um won their fifth straight game on saturday they've won eight out of ten uh five and oh since josh hart came into the lineup and he's been very successful for them um he's shooting the ball really well he won't shoot the ball like this he's shooting 60 percent in those five games leading them in plus minus in those five games. Well, he was refusing um, to shoot the ball at times in Portland, so they'll just take him shooting threes, let alone making them at 60%. <laughs> right. He's only shooting three a game, so I'm not going to overreact here. That's um, fine, though. But it's, if he does that, they'll be okay. It's been a a, a real nice um, a real nice uh, jumpstart to, um, to their starting lineup. Um, Jalen Brunson's been playing great. He's um, oh over the last 10 games, averaging 28 points, shooting 53%. Julius Randle has obviously had a couple of terrific games recently, 40-point games. Jalen um, Brunson, since New Year's, is averaging 28.6 points per game. On yeah, you can make an argument he's better. You, you can make an argument he's a better player than the player that the Mavs just traded a bunch of stuff for, and they could have had him on the team. But that, as we have talked about many times, is well, a story those, for another ships are By the way, in that, in that same span – uh, Julius Randle's average 26.8. So you're basically getting, you know, 56 points. They've been playing uh, great. A game from those two guys. 
Right. And they, and Mitchell Robinson is now back and he's not a perfect player, but he's, um, he's an impactful player. He can, he's just an came back from injury. seven footer who, who plays yeah. hard. Fits so, Tom's system, thing. Tom Thibodeau's system very well. Big physical rim, pre, rim protected center who gobbles up a bunch of rebounds. This is exactly what he wants. One of the things that we've said a lot in the last couple of months or so is, you know, like this, everybody's so tightly botched. It's just, or tightly, uh, um, maybe I was a Freudian slip. Everyone's so tight, lightly bunched that if you know you have a good couple of weeks, it can change your whole world. Well, this is the case. The mm-hmm. Knicks have had a couple of good weeks, and Brooklyn in front of them has you know taken itself apart to a certain extent. They've dropped seven out of ten. Yeah. Um, and um, he and here they are. They're they're tied for fifth with Brooklyn. They play Brooklyn again on Wednesday, but Bontemps they get to put this to the test on Monday night because they play the Celtics at home, right? It, at MSG. Yep. At MSG. MSG Monday night. Um, great opportunity for them to put this to the test. The Celtics just had a spectacular win you know, in Philly. Um, that sure you were there. sure you was can, fun. You can talk about that for a second, but like, um, what are you seeing from the Knicks here? Well, look, it's like you said, I mean, Tom Thibodeau, there's been a couple times this year. I mean, you go back to December, I think it was December. It was either November or December. Cleveland came in. Donovan Mitchell's first game at MSG. Mm-hmm. It was a Sunday night game. And the Knicks had lost a few games in a row. Donovan Mitchell was in the house. They hadn't traded for him. And people were not sure what was going to happen with Tibbs if yeah. that game went a certain way. Like, I it, you know, I don't know if how close anything actually came to happening, but there was definitely right. some trepidation around the team about who knows what would happen if donovan put up like 48 and like danced around the garden by the way by the way how about if we get a Cavs knicks four five series that oh i'm getting to that i'm getting to that so they win that game they go on a run the Cavs come back again after a little bit of a dip the knicks beat them again at the garden they go on another run and now they're sitting here in sixth place the the nets fifth Net well, right. I mean, yes, they are tied for fifth. Nets have one less loss, which is what I was looking at. But um, like you said, Cavs Knicks first round, that'd be awfully juicy. I could, I could, I could have some fun watching Donovan Mitchell going up against the Knicks after all the chatter about that trade and about mm-hmm. the decision the Knicks made to not pursue him as hard as maybe they could have for Cleveland to swoop in and get him at the last second. Mm-hmm. That'd be a hell of a first round series. But look. I've said it a bunch of times this year. The Knicks deserve credit for putting a bunch of singles together for the first time in a long time. They haven't really got a ton of credit in New York on a daily basis, I don't think, for the fact that they did sign the single best player to change teams as a free agent last summer in Jalen Brunson. Got him on the team. best since Kawhi. Might maybe. I mean, I'd have to go back and look at guys that changed the free agency, but with the cap being flat the last couple of years, not a lot of guys have. But Jalen has been everything this team needed. Julius Randle is back to playing the way he played a couple of years ago when he was an all NBA player. He was a deserving all-star Jalen easily could have been an all-star probably should have been um, mm-hmm. with the way he's played. And Tibbs has got these guys playing Tibbs ball. They play incredibly hard. He's got them playing at a much faster pace than his teams are usually played in the past. They guard people, they get out and run. They go 10 deep. Josh Hart is everybody's favorite Nick here in New York city already. He does all the kind of lunch pail stuff that people here get excited about our buddy worldwide. Wob is, you know, posted videos of him diving on the floor and going crazy. <laughs> um, 
So it's you know it's been hey Emmanuel quickly is is a is a nice young player on both terrific yeah terrific six man like he's he's fit into probably the perfect role for him just come in and score off the bench, um you know they've they've just done a really solid job. Quentin Grimes was a great late first round pick. He's mm-hmm. a really good wing defender, three point shooter. R.J. Barrett's taking more steps forward. I mean they just have a very solid, good, hard playing team. Now let me we'll tell see what you that what looks like have. in the first round. But let me tell you what they have. If only starting your fitness journey was as easy as starting this podcast. The truth is all the lift big, get big and beach body ready in three weeks pressure stops most of us from even starting and starting is what matters most. It's everything. Wherever you're beginning and wherever you want to be, Peloton encourages you to just start with thousands of classes to get you moving and doing what you can. Even if that's just a 10 minute low impact class, they have those too. And when you're ready, take it up a gear with a 30-minute live DJ ride. Start with Peloton and find instructors that will keep you motivated to stay on your fitness journey. Learn the basics and build from there. Remember, doing something is everything. Get started with a Peloton bike or Bike Plus rental at onepeloton.com slash bike slash rentals. Terms apply. Now let's talk about the play of the week. The pressure to follow up Hypnotic and Cognac weighing heavily on the team. Hypnotic was in the cup, blue and ready for the play. And boom, Onyeho Tequila came in with a smooth assist to Hypnotic's tropical fruit finish. Shaken, strained, poured. It was green and good. The playmaking splash shifted the tempo. Another great cocktail from the Hypnotic team. Every season is Hypnotic and Tequila season. Hypnotic Liquor, Bardstown, Kentucky, 17% alcohol by volume. Hypnotic reminds you to think wisely, drink wisely. They are they have they are a good team mm-hmm. with assets. I was gonna That's say right. they got all those you know, they got all the they've draft got picks. Young they're, players, they're, they've, they've got, got, got draft a carton picks. of cigarettes in the pokey, buddy. They can make all kinds <laughs> of deals. <laughs> you gotta translate that on a Texan for all of the <laughs> rest of America. They can figure it out. <laughs> um, you know. They're not a perfect team, obviously, and they're they're two weeks, you know, they're two bad weeks away from being back in ninth. But um, well, the thing is, though, they're not really now because they they've sort of been in that six, seven range most of the season. They're now three losses up on Atlanta in eighth or two losses up on Miami in, in seventh. Miami's fallen off a bit of a cliff lately. They're playing. Yeah, I mean, that's what's really Philly. happened here. So they've won five in a row. Miami's lost four in a row. Right. And so they've built a little bit of a moat on the sixth seed. And which is Brooklyn, so to your point, has so dropped back down. You're right. Because yeah, I thought it was. Pl- Go ahead. They're a playoff team this year. They're not a real, they're not a threat. Like they're not going to, they're not a threat to beat the Sixers or the Bucks or the Celtics. We understand that. They are a superstar away from being a real threat, but they are in prime position to be able to deal for a superstar. And, and by the way, the, the fact that the Knicks are so primely positioned, like, you say, well, why did the Mavericks pounce on the chance to add Kyrie, knowing all the risks contractually and otherwise? Well, because like, there's no guarantee that they were going to be able to get the next one that became available, right? right. Because there, there's the Knicks and other teams are much better positioned. Well, and the thing that's they, different about where the Knicks are at now compared to where they've been is for so long, the Knicks were trying to, trying to get the quick fix, right? It was like, oh, let's jump it. Stefan Marbury and Steve Francis yeah. and Eddie Curry. And you go over the years, they kept jumping at like the next thing and the next thing and the next thing. And even when the one time they sort of did this, 
was the two years that Donnie Walsh had with Mike D'Antoni where they got Amari, they drafted Gallo, they had Wilson Chandler, they built up a bit of an asset base, and then they had the chance to get Carmelo, and they threw everything out the door and traded everything for Carmelo, and then mm-hmm. they could never build a team around well, him that was good enough to really just, be a factor. Well, the, the key there is Melo could have waited until the summer. Right. I understand, but my point and is that signed, they, and they could have had Manello and those pieces. I understand. My point, though, is that they when they they jumped too quickly and gave away all the they gave away the whole store and then had nothing What's that have to do with the manual. <laughs> the point is they they have a t- they've done this in a way now where they finally, after decades of not doing mm-hmm. it, have methodically put themselves in a position where they have a good solid team. And if they do find the right guy or two to add to it, then they do have a chance to be a legitimate championship team or a championship mm-hmm. contending team like the Sixers and like the Celtics, who, as you said earlier, I watched that game in Philly on Saturday, one of the best games of the year, up yeah. to and including Joel Abid letting this shot go perfectly in line with me from the basket. I could see right away it was going to be late. And as it's flying, I was like, this thing is probably going to fall in and it's just going to be a mess. Of course, drops right Mike in the basket. Green- I mean, if you go find the clip of Mike Green calling the Tatum that three great. that won the game with what was it? 1.5 1. 1. or 1.3. 1.3, yeah. 1. okay. right. They needed if it was 1.5. It probably been right. tied up. That's <laughs> right. right. Uh, Tate, you know, there was, it, he got a bang from uh, Tatum. And then uh, Green's reaction when Embiid threw in the 65 footer or whatever it was. Um, well, the funny thing was it, about that, the Sixers immediately knew it wasn't good. But they were yeah. the only ones in the building who weren't sure. The Celtics were like, oh, no, we just messed <laughs> up. Every fan was like, oh, my God, the game is tied. This is the greatest thing of all time. But Joel instantly shook his head and walked off. The Sixers were like, hey, yeah. yeah, we lost. And then the Celtics Joel didn't even like, oh, wait yeah, for the, okay. the officials didn't no. even have the headset on yet. And Joel was in the locker room. Yeah, he knew the second he knew the second he uh, he let it go. And it's funny. He talked after the game. The reason he had to let it go that extra bit of a second late was because Derek White was right there and he had to go around him and get it off. And Derek White was plus 25 and 25 minutes in that game. Celtics are the deepest team in the NBA. They're finally healthy. The Jalen Brown isn't going to play because of personal reasons against the Knicks on Monday. The Celtics have to play Derek White heavy minutes going forward. He is such a good player. He's a critical part of what they've been doing. Even with Marcus Smart and Jalen Brown out recently, they've been rolling because Derek White has been awesome. And I know they've got Malcolm Brogdon and Grant Williams and Horford and Robert Williams, all these guys to play. Derek White has got to play a lot. And as far as Philly goes, Paul Reed plays five minutes, was minus 14. Time is just a flat circle in Philadelphia. For five years, I've been around this team. And for five years, they've had 700 different options to try to play a few minutes a game in the playoffs behind Joel Embiid. And none of them have worked. Well, maybe this the time they'll have... I was going to say, maybe they'll have P.J. Tucker do it. As a, as a backup big option. I mean, listen, you, well, need, to stop on, you need to stop on Giannis, you know, get a, get, get, get a ladder out there. And uh, and um, I'm blanking on my man's name. Former sixth man of the year. I'm, I'm not sure which guy you're talking Montrez about. Montrez Harrell. Best oh, Montrez Harrell. Oh, yeah. Yeah, well, oh. I thought you were making you a You know what's sad about Montrez Harrell? Um, I was uh, I was in Phoenix last few days, and uh, I watched the the Thunder play the Suns on Friday night. Isaiah Joe put in like yeah. twenty eight. Boy, he's been he a had nice twenty four tonight. Hey, yeah, twenty four tonight. When the Mavs had that massive meltdown where they blow a sixteen point lead in the last four minutes against OKC or in the year, it was SGA and Isaiah Joe. 
<laughs> he came in now, a little thin. The man Isaiah Joe is is uh, is ha- is just a total fine for the Thunder. The Thunder are losing. Shea, Shea hurt his hip and has missed a couple of games. They're not going to make the playoffs, I don't think, which means they get another lottery pick. But the Thunder have, are just putting together little wins, and Isaiah mm-hmm. Joe looks like he's one of them. And they cut Isaiah Joe yep. to have room to sign Montrez Harrell, although I, they signed Montrez Harrell first, but it, it made it so that Isaiah well, that Joe was That was the roster spot that he took. And the, the only yeah. other thing I'll say real quick about Philly is on Thursday, they're down – a bunch to Memphis. They come back and win. It was the fifth or sixth time they come back from down 15 or more to win. Even though they lost that game Saturday and blew a big lead, they were down 10 with six, seven minutes to go. Looked like the game was over. They came flying back again. They've just this, they've just really got a different kind of edge and toughness to them than the Sixers have had in recent years. I don't know if they're going to be good enough ultimately to get by Milwaukee That's the and thing. Boston. I agree. Daryl Morey has done a good job since the Harden trade to stock this roster. I just jabbed him a little bit on Isaiah Joe, but they have made good moves. They are a good team. Harden is mm-hmm. playing well. Embiid Harden's is been playing great. brilliantly. Embiid's, yes. Embiid's the, mo- the, the, the move from Maxie to the bench, Maxie has embraced that and it's working. The Anthony mm-hmm. Melton was an awesome pickup. He's been great. Yeah. I mean, they've done everything right. They're really good, but I just don't know if they're good enough in 2023. I just, right. this is the, yeah. the wrong year. To me, they're very clearly one of the three best teams in the league. The problem is the three best teams in the league all play in the Eastern Conference. And so they, one of them is getting out of the second round of the playoffs. There's that so, East Coast bias. There's that East Coast bias. I know well, they just I beat saw, the Nuggets and the Nuggets just got their pants pulled down in Memphis, but I still think we got to include the nuggets in the conversation for the I mean, best team. You can include them if you want. I think the three best teams are in the East. I think if Philly was also, in the Western conference, I think they'd win the question. I think they'd win the Western conference playoffs. Also, what about those Lakers, baby? Aren't we contractually obligated to hype up the Lakers? The best. <laughs> Let me just say I can, this I can no longer call them the best 13 seed in NBA history. <laughs> Got to slide them up or run. I'm going to say this about Boston. This is where Boston kind of rises above everybody in my mind. Now, let me just say, Milwaukee's been banged up, so they're right there. Boston is 20 and 10 on the road, okay, with the victory in Philadelphia being a prime example of a grade A road victory. They've got a number of those this year. Denver's 15 and 15. They both played 30 games. So to me, to be a championship level team, that's the kind of profile of a championship level team. They go on the road and handle their business because you know in the playoffs, you're going to end up having must win games on the road. And look, Denver may be able to do it. I, my, my admiration for Denver has only grown as the season has gone along. Philly, by the way, how's your admiration for Denver grown as the season has gone along when you can't even watch the freaking Nuggets games? It's hard. It's hard, man. (laughs) It is hard. Uh, What do you you admire their box scores? I was in the gold, the gold city on the Hill, Omaha, Nebraska, where you can't watch a quarter of the NBA because there's blackout rules covering massive chunks of the country. I get to watch them when they're on when they're on national TV and I was go. in Phoenix on Thursday night and I watched them play in Cleveland and without Aaron Gordon. And they were extremely impressive in that game because the Cavs played you, well. Fortunately for time. you, you were not able to watch them uh, Saturday night in <laughs> I Memphis, I which, I, which I was, I didn't that, that one wasn't one of their better performances. Not okay. Well, that's the thing that was on the road. I mean, with the, so was the Cleveland game, but you know, they win one, they lose one on the road. That's, you know, if you're looking for to me, the differentiation between and no, and and Milwaukee is 17 and 12 on the road, and they haven't yeah, had Philly's, team Philly's 15 and 11. I mean, Philly's got a big month yeah. coming up, they got a ton of tough games in March, but 
you know, the other well, thing about Boston, well, hell, too, Jason, I get the Knicks, the Knicks are 18 and 12. So screw what I said about them being a superstar away. Well, I get the, funny, the funniest hey, thing about the funniest thing about there. the Knicks season is that they're 17 and 15 at the garden and have lost probably somewhere between five and 10 excruciating games at MSG. Like it could easily be the four seed if they just hadn't yeah. choked away several, which is why games. they get one more player. And now we're, now we're cooking with not games. one more player. Sure one best player. Right. Okay. Right. But their but their position and by it the is way, an important detail though to make man points out. It's not <laughs> yes, just another yes. guy. Another no, no. really, okay. really, really good guy. Right. They don't have an all star. Even though Brunson should I guess they Julius have, was an all star. Yeah. Julius they don't, they don't have what they, they don't, don't have, have is a superstar. They have a couple right. all star caliber players. They need a superstar well, one more caliber. thing that they that they, they have also is that they also have uh Yvonne Fournier and um Yvonne. That trade, you know, any sort of that's, trade that's in the from Brian's time in France, Evan Fournier that's for the Americans. They, Yvonne is what they say in France, and I oh, didn't want to be we, looked at we. sideways. Uh, well, Fournier, well, <laughs> well, yes, that we know anyway, about the next contracts, they have contracts he, they can trade. Well, right, they 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 could have gotten rid of him, but they kept him to potentially use in trade. Yeah, they have they uh, have they have they have contractual pieces they could trade. They got a lot of stuff. The other the other thing that's worth pointing out about Boston too, you mentioned superstars. Jason Tatum Saturday, he hit that shot at the end of the game. He was not very good at all for basically yeah. the entire game, and it didn't matter cuz the Celtics have so much depth. These other guys like Derek White, Jalen Brown was awesome. They have a ton of depth across the Al roster Horford guys to step in and make plays. You know, the Spurs, the Spurs just don't trade guys who get better. You know, DeJounte Murray, it was partially, that was a contract decision. They the didn't think they could trade keep guys it. who get better when they're about to go tank a palooza, bro. No, they've never done that till Look, now. The Celtics, the Celtics, boy, they the are. Celt- I think they've lost 14 in a row. The Celtics, made who's counting? Uh, we've Is talked about it before. Let me double check that, but I believe it's 16 after a uh, oh, God, loss right. in Utah. It is 16 in a row. They're, they're oh, going God. hard after Victor. We'll see if they get him. But, the, we talked about it. Houston is talked, Houston staying strong though. Eight in a row. They they stand below. Hey, the but the Hornets are suddenly winning. Like, what are you doing? Wow. We'll see what <laughs> it's happens. Very Hornet, it's very Hornets of them. But I talked about it from the moment they made that Derek White trade. Brad Stevens says he's coming in this job. You know, there's a lot of time for years. Danny Ainge was like about to trade for a bunch of players over and over and over again. Mm-hmm. And with Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown in place, you know, we just talked about the Knicks not having the superstar. The Celtics had the all pro all NBA wing players you need to win. Yeah. Brad Stevens since then goes out and gets Al Horford, beloved player on this team from when he was here before, has immediately slotted in. Had a great in game on Saturday too. Goes and gets Derek White, has slotted in from the moment he got there last spring, was a huge part of them going to the finals. When they get to the finals, they don't have enough offensive shot creation and you know dribble penetration off the bench. They go trade ball for handling. Malcolm Brock. Just straight ball handling. Right. They go get yeah. Malcolm Brogdon, another depth piece they could bring off the bench. Like you were watching this game last night or Saturday night. They've got Grant Williams, Derek White, Malcolm Brogdon coming off the bench. And Philly's playing Jalen McDaniels and, you know, Paul Reed. And like, it's just and not by the comparable. way, and what did they give up for those players? Like, I mean, Aaron Neesmith has shown a few moments in Indiana this year. Well, they what gave did they up, give up? They gave up a fir- they gave up a first round pick in each of those trades. And it Picks was worth are it gonna each be of those 28th, times. 29th or 30th. Well, like, and it's just they got the depth pieces they needed because they had the stuff at the top. And Brad and, Stevenson and the trade identified needs and, they, and fixed them. Yeah, the trade for Brog and they cleared out a bunch of roster spots too. Yeah, Went and got I mean, Luke Cornette. 
which who's played really nicely for them. They signed Sam Hauser. They've developed him. They've done a great job filling out their bench. They've got Pete Pritchard, Sam Hauser, and Luke Cornett not even playing. And those guys would help a lot of teams on a nightly basis. Peyton Pritchard was the seventh man in the finals last year. I mean, maybe he was the eighth guy, but there were nights where he felt like he was the seventh guy because right. Grant I, Williams kind of when we get fell into away. the Peyton Pritchard part of the program. It's, well, it's, it's just, all right. He, he, I just we got to get, get McMahon home. McMahon's <laughs> against tired. I just think it's interesting when you look back at Brad Stevens last year coaching the team. They basically had five guys the whole year, and I yeah. think it's interesting from the moment he got into this job running the team as the president of basketball operations, he's kept adding these solid depth pieces into the roster. Now they got the best, deepest roster in the league. I just realized McMahon next Sunday night, when I'm there with you, how are we going to do this podcast? Cause I got to fly home. Well, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll figure we'll, it out. We'll, we'll just do it. All right. Hey, you just know, bond after the game. I'll be available. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thank you to Jackson, our producer. Thank you to McMahon and bond temps. Thank you. Listen to hoop collective. Everybody have a good week. We'll talk to you soon. Adios amigos. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Call 1-800-DIRECTV. Claim based on total games carried on sports networks. Sports availability varies by zip code and requires choice package. Terms and restrictions apply.